Oh, yes. Yes, I've been waiting a long, long time. And I'm ready for your return. Mystery Incorporated will not get out of this mansion alive. This time... A big hello to all you mystery solvers out there, and welcome to Heavy Metal, a podcast about Scooby-Doo. I'm your host, Ethan Brundine, and each week, myself and a guest will take you through a mystery from somewhere in the vast history of the greatest cartoon of all time. Evie is my guest this week, and she has selected episode number 17 of the first season of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, Escape from Mystery manner evie welcome to the show hi thanks for having me thank you so much for agreeing to come on you know you are the um first person to want to do mystery incorporated which um i'm very excited about because you know this show is very near and dear to my heart as i'm sure it is for you as well yeah very much so we kind of talked about it beforehand about how you and i both are in are similar ages so mm-hmm. whenever this show was coming out we were at like right at the perfect age for it to just really hit super hard yeah it's very much mystery incorporated is my scooby-doo it's what i think of when i think of scooby-doo um yeah everything else just kind of um is variations on what on it as opposed to you know any other version right right um i think part of the the joy of this show is and why it works so much for us is like because we were you know right there in between kind of being like like we were middle school age basically you know so we were yeah. we were ready for something a little more than you know than your regular scooby-doo cartoon or whatever but we weren't you know over cartoons in general um <laughs> which yeah, is really exactly. kind of the magic of this show i think um, right um but, watching it in kind of the same period as like the Clone Wars TV show and Ben 10 and that kind of stuff where it's yeah um, the, exactly like you said, where it's not um, kids shows per se, not that there's anything wrong with that, but also not um, too old for cartoons. Yeah. 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 Ben 10 was definitely another one for me um, at that age, um, particularly the, uh, the, sequel shows because i was into kind of the, uh, the oh he's a teenager now that's cool teenagers yeah cool. yep i that's definitely another thing is uh as a middle schooler as a 10 11 year old and teenagers what teenagers are doing is so much more interesting than what people your age are doing or at least that was my experience yeah no i agree i always think it's a mistake whenever um you know people are trying to make something targeted as kids so they think they need to wedge in a a kid character you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like no kid wants to be robin every kid wants to be batman right yeah <laughs> so like it was a it, there's no need for that but yeah. um yeah i really do love this show for people who are not familiar with it it um it really was a reinvention of 
Scooby-Doo as a whole. I mean, this came out in in 2010, so whenever the show started, and it it was the first and still so far the only time that Scooby-Doo has had a uh, a story arc that that carries over multiple episodes, like carries over the entire show. Um, while still maintaining the the episodic nature of the show for most of the runtime, so there's still a uh, usually still an unmasking in each episode, but there are clues that that work towards a greater mystery that that unravels as the show goes on. Um, did you watch the whole show, Evie? Um, I did. I didn't watch it as it was coming. All of it as it was coming yeah. out. Um, I watched some of it um as it was coming out but um it became it was like a, a thing with my family of watching an episode um whenever we all had a chance together um yeah yeah um it was we did it with a bunch uh several other tv shows we did all of um malcolm in the middle and all of parks and rec together too but uh mystery incorporated was the first show that we did together like that so, i mean those are great choices um I, it is weird to have to um, issue a spoiler warning on this show, but it is, you know, it's yeah. possible that we might go into some of the, uh, the, the details surrounding um, the, the overarching plot of Mystery Incorporated. So, you know, if that is something that, if you have not watched the show and you are interested in doing so in the future, you know, maybe wait until afterwards. Um, I would recommend watching this episode either way because it is, pretty much a fresh entry point into uh i mean i mean not that it's a fresh entry point but it is a uh it, it works very well as its own sort of standalone episode um but you know we might go into some details as to how the uh the episode works into the greater plot um he was very excited that you picked this episode um because it's one of my favorites of the entire show it's just such a fun um, use of these characters and a fun um, like playing around in a different genre. Yeah. Um, it was the first episode I saw of the show. Um, I just, um, you know, it was on a, a rerun probably the, a week or two yeah. after it came out and it instantly grabbed me. And it definitely um, having that kind of, those hints uh towards a larger plot in the um you know at the time i didn't get the kind of horror yeah. like saw kind of references yeah. of it you know because i was 10 or whatever but it definitely felt different than any other scooby-doo thing yeah for sure um you know I was looking over the schedule right before we started recording this and completely by coincidence this is going to come out the week that spiral the book of saw comes up the week that we are uh finally uh granted to chris rock's you know twisted vision for the saw franchise or whatever um do you have a relationship with the saw movies evie uh not not at all really just in you know cultural osmosis of yeah. you know waking up in a, a bathroom and you know a, having a, a puppet talk to you yeah, for sure. Um, I I I am a, a a big Saw fan. I think the first movie is 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 like a, a masterpiece, like a perfect little bottle story that 
that rules as far as like suspense and is just a great thriller. Like, you know, it, like obviously Saw's reputation is the torture porn stuff, but that doesn't really come in until the sequels other than, you know, the first movie is just like, Oh, is he going to saw his leg off or whatever, which is mm-hmm. obviously gross, but it doesn't get to the, uh, the insane heights that it gets to in the later ones. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I, I want to check out. Um, yeah. I've, liked all of James Wan's other movies I've seen so far. So it'll definitely um something that's a plan, a plan to get to eventually. <laughs> Have you seen Dead Silence? I haven't. Also Dead Silence is yeah. in many ways a Scooby Doo episode of its own. That movie is, is very silly and fun. Um but yeah, you are you as you say this this episode is very much indebted to Saw, which is really funny for a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah, um, and I, I didn't, uh, most of them I didn't realize at the time, but there is a lot of um, movie and uh, references in the series in Mystery yeah. Incorporated. Um, that there's a lot, I mean, both back to uh, older Scooby-Doo stuff, but also to just... Um, Stuff like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or mm-hmm. Terminator or uh, whatever else. Of Twin Peaks, obviously, is a huge one. Right, There's a lot of, course. of Twin Peaks in the second season. Um, but yeah, they do. They they play around with a lot of stuff in this this show. It um, it is darker than than you know the rest of the series, but um, in a way that still has a lot of levity and fun and still feels like scooby-doo and um something we'll get into when we get into the plot of this episode one of my favorite things about mystery incorporated is that it makes the characters real characters yeah yeah there's um emotional emotional stakes yeah, um in a sure. way that that you know because every other series has a status quo that is consistent um, across the entire series, at the very least, um, but there's relationships that actually um, develop and have um, weight to them. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Um, so something I like to do is I like to give some background as to what was going on in the world whenever each week's episode came out. Um, so this episode came out on. May 24th, 2011. Okay. So other things that happened in May 2011 is um, Obama announced that we had assassinated Osama bin Laden. And also the movie Thor was released. So, you know, which one of those two things had a greater influence on on American (laughs) culture? Who can say? Uh, interesting yeah. yeah i mean i uh whenever it's brought up i have to reference the fact that the rock um knew about osama bin laden um before yeah. everyone else did and <laughs> said so on twitter <laughs> the yeah. strangest the strangest moment uh possibly in pop culture <laughs> yeah that is really strange let me pull up the, the, that tweet and read it because it is hilarious um and yeah very strange um, there was who knows all- how he figured this stuff out? 
Yeah, I I don't know, but it's just something that I think of, I think about um whenever um I mean whenever it's brought up is just this this strange fact that you know at that point a rising movie star and now possibly the biggest movie star in the world had inside sources on like yeah. governmental assassination <laughs> essentially yeah, he wasn't even, like, a big movie star at the time. He was still in, like, Tooth Fairy mode, right? Like, he hadn't been in right. Fast and the Furious yet. Yeah, Fast um, Five came out later that year. Yeah. So here's the tweet. Just got word that will shock the world. Land of the free, home of the brave. Damn proud to be an American. And that was, like, 12 hours before the announcement. <laughs> Who knows? Dude, I mean, what yeah, a guy. for sure. <laughs> It's, oh, uh, yeah, it's definitely something, it says a lot both about America and about The Rock <laughs> that he made that announcement. Yeah, <laughs> or, sure. you know, the veiled and veiled um, statements. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess let's get into the plot of this episode, Evie, if you're ready. All right. So the uh, episode starts in um, a flashback, right? to the the center setting for this episode, Darrow Mansion. And it's Halloween night. Um, we don't know the year, but you know, we can tell by the the sepia tone that it was a long time ago. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's this family who are fighting over this this piece of treasure, right? Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, this is the first I didn't go back and watch the first 16 episodes, I'm afraid. Uh-huh. But judging by how they, they, they react to what we know as being the piece of the planospheric disc mm-hmm. later on in the episode, that this is the first time that we, as the viewers, have seen it. Right. It seems it's... I, I also didn't watch the, the previous episodes, but it seems like that in, it, in terms yeah. of the, the mystery reveal. It definitely seems like... Um, the first piece which is kind of crazy because this is almost like this isn't the second half of the first season and obviously mm-hmm. that is like the linchpin of the show and that like really right. becomes a big big deal in the second season but i would have thought we would have seen it in like the first five or six episodes um you know in my memory of the show but i guess not yeah um i definitely would have placed it earlier but um you know, it kind of shows like uh, 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 some restraint um, in terms of knowing how to pace out the mystery. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, they planned for the show to be exactly, you know, 52 episodes of over two seasons from the beginning, and they, they had it mapped out and everything, and that always really pans out very well, I think. I think that yeah. a lot of... Um, modern shows on netflix or whatever that are trying to do the the lost or the twin peaks thing could benefit by knowing that they're not going to make it more than two or three seasons and just you know planning out from the beginning instead of uh you know getting canceled before they have the time to tell their whole story or whatever yeah having um a clear vision and endpoint um helps shape a lot of mystery or helps shape a lot of stories um, of that kind. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so you know, it's Halloween, so they're all dressed up in their in their Halloween costumes. They're having this big old fight, and the little boy Danny Darrow is the one who wins and has the the piece. And what do you think his costume is supposed to be? I took it as Abe Lincoln. I thought it was Abe Lincoln too, but he's wearing he has like a a a bright white beard. Like it does not track as being Abe Lincoln's beard. But I mean, and I, who else would he be dressed up as? You know what I mean? Um, There's not a, many costumes you could do that have uh, a stovepipe hat yeah, and yeah. any sort of beard. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess, especially, you know, we don't know when it was supposed to be, but it was supposed to be a very long time ago. So, you know, <laughs> what yeah. else would, they, like, maybe, someone maybe else is dressed as Cleopatra or whatever, so there's only so mm-hmm. many options. It's not like you could go as a Power Ranger or anything. Yeah. In, I guess in many ways, uh, Abe Lincoln was the Power Ranger of you know, <laughs> the 1800s. I mean, perhaps it's hinting at um, Scooby-Doo taking place in an alternate history where right. Abe Lincoln grew old. Yeah, very well could be. Very well could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we, and then after he grabs the piece, we watch the entire mansion um, fall into the earth, like the earth ruptures and, and swallows it whole, um, which is kind of our first um, pop culture reference to the episode, because that is very much indebted to the fall of the House of Usher, the uh, classic um, Edgar right. Allan Poe story. Um, I've not read the story, but literally just last week I watched the the movie with Vincent Price, so as I was watching this episode for the podcast, I was like, oh, hey, look, that's the thing. That's the, that's the House of Usher thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, you get the House of Usher thing, then also you have the Saw, and then also a little bit of Lord of the Rings as well, with the uh, with the the villain of the episode as a, as a right. very Gollum-like figure. Um, very much so. So um, and we don't know why this happens per se, other than the rumor that the planospheric disc is a cursed treasure. Yeah. Um, so that's a you know that's a big old mystery. The the building just up and and being swallowed like that. Yeah, it's um it's also yeah without any context, it definitely um. um what was I it definitely is intriguing. There we go. Yeah, it's a strong start to the episode for sure. Um, yeah. So then you know we go through the the theme song, and on the other end of it, we have Velma giving us the audience um, a handy rundown of what they know so far, which I I found very helpful. So I can you know <laughs> place myself in the uh, in the timeline here. So she has four clues as to the the. Um, overarching story. So they have the locket that they found in the first episode. Um, they have since figured out that it is Brad and Judy, uh, Brad Childs and Judy Reeves in the locket who are part of the original Mystery Incorporated, which is yeah. um, a a concept that was invented for this show, which is that they they formed their their group after. Um, 
a group of similar mystery-solving teens from 30 years ago who went missing. Um, and they all kind of fit into similar archetypes with the gang, um, with the exception of the Scooby character, who is um, who is in the original Mystery Inc. is a talking parrot named Professor Pericles, who is easily one of my favorite characters um, in any media ever. I love him so much. He's so good. He's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they know that they, that this locket belonged to Brad and Judy, but they don't yet know the relationship between Fred and those two. Uh, right. The other clues are that the Darrow uh, mansion was swallowed whole, um, and that uh, Professor Pericles has escaped from a pet jail, which is a very fun <laughs> concept they have in that mm-hmm. in the pet jail episode. And then also that they have been getting these mysterious clues from a Mister E, which is a great name. I love that. Me too. Um... I feel it's not. I'm trying to remember. I feel like I, um, I know it's. I mean, it's definitely not the first time that that's been used as a um, a name in some sort of mystery thing, yeah. especially for kids. But I, uh, I've always liked it. It's yeah, it just it's felt fun. It was definitely the first time I heard of it. So um, yeah, but but yeah, this first season is very much indebted to the mystery of Mr. E as opposed to the the you know what the planospheric disc actually means. Um mm-hmm. they're sort of unraveling the truth of Mystery Incorporated and then in the second season they they know who they all are and they are sort of tracking them down as well as the pieces of the disc. Um, right. It's speaking the first, of not, go ahead. Uh, go the ahead. first se- yeah yeah. Uh the first season is almost uh more about them discovering what the mystery they're trying to solve is. Yeah, yeah, and and um, and really focuses on building them up as as characters. Like, uh, yeah, we have the whole um, Vel- all the Velma Shaggy stuff is resolved by the end of this first season, and then mm-hmm. is you know is a non-issue in the next season, other than you know a few references and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Which is really cool that, um, speaking of which, you know, how they, they in every way but literally make um, Velma a canonical lesbian in the second season and uh-huh. give her, you know, uh, like an on-screen relationship is really very cool. Um, yeah, and, for sure. And, it, the... Yeah, good. Oh, it, uh, it, um, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, oh, that's what it was. Uh, they definitely, um, coding it um, in that way was very, it's, you know, it, um, it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is, it, it, it's basically explicit, you know what I mean? Like, they do, it's not mm-hmm. like, uh, it's not like Frozen or something where people are, are pasting on to the character. It is, you know, like, it is, it's there in the text, they just were not able to actually say it because it was still 2010. But, uh, right. you know, it is, it's, it's all there um, in, the, in the show. And I think that's really, really cool and good. Um, I know some people had, some people kind of qu- quit out on the show in the first few episodes because they didn't like how 
relationship-driven it was for some reason. They thought, mm-hmm. you know, Scooby-Doo shouldn't be horny, I guess. But, <laughs> um, in my opinion, I think it really works. Um, what do you think? Uh, I definitely think so. Uh, like yeah. I said earlier, I think it gives um, more stakes to the character's actions. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not just about um, the individual uh, mysteries. It's also about their um, relationships with each other and about um, how they feel about each other. And that yeah. that can actually change from episode to episode, even if, you know, it's still going to be a Scooby-Doo episode where the uh, bad guy's unmasked. But, you know how the characters feel about each other is something that can change and does have uh, like long lasting impact. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the Fred and Daphne stuff really, really works and is a, a, a kind of a centerpiece of this episode um, in, in a really great and, and fun way, I think. Um, but speaking of how they don't know who the, the, members of the mystery inc are they don't yet know that their their pal angel dynamite is actually uh cassidy williams the velma figure from the original gang um, mm-hmm. and she gives them a a diary that belonged to cassidy williams and says it was delivered from mr e but as daphne points out it does not have the the e the trademark e stamp on the front of it so okay. it does not seem to be a an actual clue from him, but you know, mm-hmm. I guess they don't, uh, they don't suspect anything. Oh, there's a very fun little bit here where we learn about uh, Cassidy Williams fantasizing about going on a magic carpet ride with uh, <laughs> with the the Mister E character and uh, going to Romansylvania, which I thought was just <laughs> so so good, so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the 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 important part is that the last istri- entry on the list is right before they were the original gang was going to search the ruins of Darrow Mansion, um, and they know that the mansion is beneath Darrow University, which is we've already seen in the episode in the show so far. That was where the Chargar Gothicon episode was, um, which is another one of my faves. That's their their sort of take on the H.P. Lovecraft mythos. Um, mm-hmm. So they go to the school and um, they find the chimney is sticking up into the basement of one of the colleges, and they uh, they they jump in, which I think is is a fun. It's 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 a fun. I've never seen something like that. Um, I think it's yeah. a very fun device. Um, you know, coming across the chimney in the in the floor. Yeah, for sure. It uh, it's almost uh, Goonies ish. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and Shaggy has a great line where he goes, uh, "Time to drop out of college." As he hops <laughs> in. Yep, I I I noticed that line too. That was definitely a laugh line for me. Yeah. Uh, after they they slide down the the chimney, uh, the fireplace seals up behind them. So now they are trapped beneath the the college in Darrow Mansion, um, and they are greeted by our antagonist of the episode, who is for the first half of the episode just a voice on a old radio, and this is uh, 
and he says, um, you know, welcome back, Mystery Incorporated, which they find suspicious because, um, you know, they've never been here before. And then he says, welcome back. You will never leave. Which is, you know, it's a great. Yeah, it's very. Um, it's very spooky. Um, yeah. I think the it, the show, um, this episode especially, runs a great line of being um, spooky for kids. Yeah. Uh, of being um, intense and um, uh, scary enough uh, for kids to actually feel the you know the horror feelings mm-hmm. when it needs when they want to, but not actually um, too scary for anyone. Yeah, and well, I mean, there is like a- they're in actual mortal danger in this episode. Like, yeah. like there are are genuine weapons that are that will kill them if they mess up you know what i mean mm-hmm. like this is the, this is real stuff but this episode in particular as you say is very spooky um like it is a it's a it's a creepy episode but it's while still having a lot of fun jokes and bits in it um yeah it is clear to us however that um that he thinks that they are the old gang right um right for whatever reason, he believes that they are the older counterparts, um, and he has set up all of these traps for them, which makes Fred very excited. Um, so we mm-hmm. should talk about Fred's characterization in Mystery Incorporated. They decided to lean heavily into his previous um, previous rope of being the guy who sets the traps at the end of the episode, right? So now he is mm-hmm. he is obsessed with traps to a uh, intense degree, an alienating <laughs> degree. Um, yeah. And it, much to the dismay of Daphne, who, you know, doesn't, who doesn't even know if she's his girlfriend or not, because he's so obsessed with these, these tropes, which is just such a a fun, yep. silly dynamic. Um, it's, it's almost, it's a, a, Love triangle between Daphne, Fred, and the concept of booby traps. Yes, exactly. It's perfect, and you know it. Uh, it is a dynamic that could literally only exist in this show. You know, like this is yeah. not something that could be cribbed from something else or copied. Um, and it, they really, oh, they just did such a great job with Fred in this series. Like. You know, before this, Fred was easily the least interesting character, and he is the undeniable star of Mystery Incorporated. Um, for sure. I just, it, it is such a great overhaul for the character. I love it so much. It's so, it, it's so good for Frank Welker, you know, to get to do this mm-hmm. after playing the same boring character for 40 years. Like, I didn't dislike Fred before, but certainly pre- up named Scooby-Doo, he had zero character whatsoever. You know, he was literally yeah. just the guy who said split up and took and the guy who took the mask off at the end. Right. Um, you know, he's, uh, I can't remember, Big Chin Man, or yeah, I think exactly. it's how the guy, Danny Darrow, as we find out who it is, uh, refers exactly. to him. Yeah. Um, something that, that carries over from this show is the gradual kind of himboification of uh, <laughs> Fred Jones, which I think is a very um, a very good effect of this show. It's a great place for him to be in. 
I agree. I think it's a great, uh, a great move. But yeah, I mean, this is his episode to shine because it's all about traps. So he is excited um, by the prospect of going toe to toe with a fellow trap maker um, and and figuring out all the secrets. But we quickly discover that he might not be as good as that at at that as he thinks he is, as he uh, assumes that a picture of a guy wearing an uh, wearing a hat and carrying a axe is the exit to the um, <laughs> to the room because uh, it says axe hat. Of course, mm-hmm. I mean it's a short walk to exit. Of course, right? Of course, it's um, it's a great uh, great joke. Um, yeah, and I I think this is when it first comes up, um, which is one of my favorite things in you know most like comedic media of the like um talking about something in jar fake jargon of like yeah, yeah. oh with the the x maneuver and the um y gambit the yeah. or is always always funny for me there are so many there's so many great little um terms like that that he uses in this episode i didn't keep track of any of them but they're just so outlandish and so fun um mm-hmm. and, and agree they're it's very reminiscent of in uh oceans 12 all of the uh the different maneuvers that don Cheadle runs down you know like yes that's all that stuff. that's yeah. the exact uh the that's the scene that it was brought that i thought of too yeah for sure um but you know, like he tries to open the axe painting, and instead, nearly gets his head cut off with a saw blade. Um, so if we find out that a he, he's not going to be as adept at getting this out of this, and b, like I said, they are in actual like mortal peril here. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. If they trip up, they will be cut in half, which is is great. It is, it's, you know, it's it's it has stakes, but it still has the cartoonish timing of like a uh, a like a wily coyote cartoon, you know? Um, so it, it works very yeah. well. Um, so they have a little bit of a chase scene and then they get split up when they fall into a, a pit mm-hmm. and they fall into this pit and they wake up in a saw movie, basically. Yeah. Um, like it is straight up. Do you want to play a game? I made a trap, you know, to, 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 prey on your weaknesses um yeah and the they're in a a pool um which the walls of that call back to the kind of the same you know tile patterning as in uh the first saw yeah Uh, yeah for sure um yeah they're in an, an empty swimming pool fred and daphne and um fred is on a uh is is on a is tied with rope to a wooden chair but daphne is chained to a a chaise lounge that is chained to the bottom of the pool. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the creepy voice guy, you know, comes on the radio <laughs> and is, he's calling them Brad and Judy and Brad and Judy. And he's going to, he's made this trap specifically for Brad to test his love of Judy. And the, uh, the way this trap works is that, um, well, there's this very there's this very good bit where uh, where Fred goes, oh, you know, I thought you were a great trap master, but I see you're a moron because you forgot to fill the pool with water. <laughs> we can survive in here for decades. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately it starts filling with water. <laughs> um, 
So what what has been devised here is he has a a egg beater tied to a, a floaty, a hammer, a screwdriver, and a large rock. And the idea is that he has what it takes to get himself out of there, but he, if he tries to stay behind to save Daphne, if Brad tries to save Judy, they will both drown. Um, which is, you know, intense, right? Mm-hmm. And I do, I, I just love the the seemingly, you know, um, seemingly nothing items, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's a trip yeah. that I always find fun in things like this, is that, you know, to us, we're like, I don't know, what was he going to do with that? And then they've obviously figured out some elaborate, weird <laughs> uh, use for all of them. Yeah, um, for sure. And then this is where, you know, uh, Daphne's characterization in this show is just absolutely pitch perfect. It is so, <laughs> so sure. good. It is such a... a they 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 nailed what it what overly romantic seventeen year old girls are like right like like everything is the most important thing and it's all about her and Fred and whether or not they could you know they're gonna die together but isn't that romantic like it's just the most fatalist thing mm-hmm. ever and it is just so spot on and perfect and and great I think that this show nails nails it so much more than anything else in that in how to make Daphne a, a character without just going for the girl power angle, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with like, you know, the 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 Sarah Michelle Geller or the what's new thing of like she's a, she's a badass, right? You know, like she mm-hmm. can do karate and she doesn't take, you know, she takes no prisoners or whatever, but that mm-hmm. is shallow you know um yeah it's better than nothing which is kind of what it was beforehand but um they definitely make her more of a a, a character without feeling the need to you know to turn her into lara croft or whatever in this show Mm -hmm. which i i think is great and very very special um yeah but um you know, while Daphne, I'm sorry. What do you think of that? What do you think of uh, of Daphne's characterization? I don't want to just sit here and tell you why it's <laughs> no, a great representation of a female character. <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely agree. I think it um, it plays to. I mean, you're right that it uh, it actually is a character, which yeah, it's definitely giving her a character, which earlier on didn't really happen for anybody uh you know like shaggy and velma have smart or have you know hungry and smart basically um and then fred and daphne have nothing um besides like i guess the the attractive ones (laughs) um but um and it plays uh into the the comedic sensibility that the entire show has of Everyone has a personality and everyone is, you know, uh, kind of ridiculous, but it's not, uh, it's internally treated seriously. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great, that is a a beautiful way of putting it is that, you know, they, they, they are silly, but to, but to them, what they're saying is like, you know, 
the most important thing in the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is just the perfect line to toe. Um, so, you know, while Daphne is, is waxing poetic about how this is the perfect, you know, Romeo and Juliet ending for the two of them, Fred is, is not even listening and is, is, <laughs> is solving the problem for himself. And what he has figured out how to do is he uh, uses the egg beater to propel him like a little boat. Um, mm-hmm. It's so cute the way he just sort of like putters around the pool. Yep. <laughs> um, he uses the hammer to beat up the tile on the side of the pool and uh, catches it in his mouth, which he uses to then cut his way out of his ropes. In the impressive uh, yeah. toss. For, for, for sure, for sure. Very, um, really, even like the jigsaw uh, <laughs> traps are not as. Uh, Subject to chance, I don't think, but um, you know he, he he made it work. Um, so now he has his hands free, and he's free to leave. Right, he can use the screwdriver to um, to unscrew the hinges on the door and get out. Um, mm-hmm. But there's still something left, which is the giant rock on the side of the pool. Right, mm-hmm. um, and he grabs the rock and goes down to Daphne, and we we figure out what the rock is for. Is that is that the 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 jigsaw character for this episode left it there so he can kill his beloved and then drown with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> his, his, her misery, and then they will you know be together on this love seat beneath the water for all time. Yeah. And Daphne thinks he's going to do it. <laughs> like, She's ready for it. There's a moment where Daphne thinks he's about to clonk her over the head with this thing and kill her, which is mm-hmm. insane. Because yeah. <laughs> ostensibly a cartoon for children, but it 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 works really well yeah. in the moment. Um, they earn it for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, he uses his his giant Fred muscles to crack open the the chains with the rock and then carries her out of the pool. Um, you know, it's briefly very romantic, and then he, you know, he drops her or whatever. <laughs> and that cuts to our halfway point of the episode. So it's time for a little game, Evie. All right. So this game is called Scooby or Not Scooby. Okay. <laughs> and the way it works is I'm going to read you some titles. And you're going to have to tell me if it's an episode of Scooby-Doo or something else. Okay. And the theme for this episode is, uh, to tie in with our Saw theme, uh, underseen 2000s horror movies. So, <laughs> All right. Is the title going to be an episode of Scooby-Doo or uh, a horror movie from the 2000s that has been completely forgotten to time? <laughs> okay, so are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Dance of the Dead. Boy. <laughs> it's a yeah, tough one to start off with. Already. Um, I'm going to say Scooby. No, it is not. There is a very cute, uh, close one. There is Dance of the Undead is a Scooby-Doo, but this is a horror movie. Um, this I have a, a synopsis for you. All right. Um, with prom only hours away, the usual suspects of Kosa High are preoccupied with their annual rituals of teendom. 
On the night of the big dance, when the dead unexpectedly rise to eat the living, polar opposite groups will be forced to unite in their final chance to save the town from the zombies. Seems like a classic. I don't All know. Right. We haven't watched it. Scary <laughs> Christmas is number two. Scary Christmas. Christmas horror movies, always a classic. Mm-hmm. I think this is Scooby, though. That's a Scooby. Good work. Okay. Daphne just wants to be able to celebrate her birthday, which is right on Christmas Eve, while Fred is determined to solve a Christmas mystery and keeps returning at the local orphanage. Unfortunately, all it can get is one with a pterodactyl, which has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a, a one from Be Cool Scooby-Doo. It's a, it's a very silly episode. I find it pretty fun. Um... Next up is The Curse of Kaniyaku. Kaniyaku. Hmm. I'm going to say Scooby. That's a Scooby. Fred tries to solve a 700-year-old mystery in Japan while Daphne becomes a viral sensation. I think I, think I might have seen that one. It sounds vaguely familiar. It's pretty fun. Dead and Breakfast. I'm going to say not Scooby. Yeah, that's a, that's a horror movie. Six friends are on a road trip for the night and stop at a bed and breakfast in the sleepy town of Lovelock. After a night that leaves both the inn's owner and chef dead, the gang finds themselves under suspicion by the local sheriff. But that's only the beginning, as nearly all of the town's quirky residents become possessed by an evil spirit and pin down the friends inside the B&B. Hmm. That one also sounds good. I'm gonna have to watch. Yeah, <laughs> that one also could almost be a Scooby Doo plot. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. The Ghost of Bigfoot. Oh, the Ghost of Bigfoot. Hmm. I'm gonna say Scooby. Yeah, I mean, only that's a classic old Scooby Doo thing. Of it's not enough to just be a monster; it has to be it's a ghost too. Right. There's a, a hat and a hat. This is actually the uh, Laurel and Hardy episode of the new <laughs> Scooby-Doo Mysteries. Um, do not remember that one being very good. Would not recommend. <laughs> Wax World. Wax World? Hmm. I mean, my first thought is the... Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of uh, Gravity Falls in the Wax... Uh sculptures they find um i'm gonna say not scooby that's a scooby-doo the guys enter a wax museum in search of their missing coin and find a wax master who wants to turn them into his newest exhibit that's a, a scrappy do wax ma <laughs> wax master yeah <laughs> it's not a phrase I've, I've, i i've encountered before <laughs> yeah you know i you probably won't after this either <laughs> unless <laughs> Track down that episode of Scrappy Doo. <laughs> um, how to make a monster? How to? Hmm. I'm gonna say not Scooby. It is not. Video game developer Clayton Software enlists the talents of Mister. <laughs> Wait, Mr. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, is right. his last name Software? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Enlist... <laughs> the Clayton software enlists the talents of a misfit group of programmers to develop the scariest computer combat game 
Evolution. With four weeks to bring the game to market and a million dollar bonus on the line, they utilize a telemetry suit to render a, thir a 3D version of the on-screen player. But when a power surge gives the hard drive a mind of its own, the suit comes to life to play the game for real. And then the programming team finds themselves in the middle of a chilling virtual nightmare. That came out in 2001. I can only imagine what the graphics on that thing look like. <laughs> I, I don't know where the cutoff is, but that... The like the era of making techno thrillers or techno horror, yeah. when the people writing it didn't really understand how technology works, yeah. Yeah. is just fantastic. Like I'm thinking about stuff like The Net or yeah, Hackers, sure. which is yeah. more thrill thriller than horror, but it definitely all feels of a piece of just oh yeah, oh yeah, the most ridiculous stuff. <laughs> um, I think somebody um, I've saw I've seen some. Somebody referred to it as uh, the bloody floppy disk cannon, which is just is really good. It's yeah, a perfect way of referring to definitely. it. Um, okay, so here's the last one. Are you ready? Cry Baby Lane. Cry Baby Lane. Oh, this... It sounds... I can... I'm going to say not Scooby-Doo. Yeah, if it, it it is not, if it sounds familiar, it is because, and I've seen this one, actually, this was a Nickelodeon original movie that was banned after one airing because it was too scary. Yeah, that's, it's, it, it's, uh, it, did it become a creepypasta? Probably. Okay, um, I... Um, I think I mean, that's that where sense. I know. Yeah, it's like it's about the plot is like some some uh, wife gives birth to Siamese twins, and one of them is evil, one of them is is good. So they like cut them in half, and you know, like buried the good one in like a, a happy cemetery, and then like dumped the bad <laughs> one in like the river or something. <laughs> and then, like he comes back and is like a spooky or whatever. It's a very bad movie. I, I watched it yeah. on like daily motion when I was like twelve because of its you know, <laughs> reputation or whatever. But uh, just, uh, just <laughs> like the the like trying to do the what's the um, Treehouse of Horror episode yeah. with uh, what Hugo Simpson Bart yeah, Evil yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, perfect. But is that not like I mean, no wonder it became a creepy pasta. That's the most perfect thing. It was a right. Nickelodeon movie that was too scary to be played. They people make up that story about other exactly. things. Exactly, but this was a real thing. Like moms called yeah. to, to complain, and they're like, "All right, fine, whatever." <laughs> we yeah. spent like twenty bucks on this thing. We'll pull it. I also think it might have been written by R.L. Stein, like if I remember that correctly. But maybe I'm I'm conflating that with something else. But anyway, it's a fun little curio, but not actually worth watching. Yeah. Okay, so. uh Back to the episode, um, you know, Fred and Daphne have gotten out, but we have to... Shaggy, Scooby, and Velma are still trapped in their trap. Um, so they are in a room with a bunch of cords, you know, going, like, a, making a spider's web all around them, like, it's every which way. And uh, the cords are attached to a plethora of pointy weapons. <laughs> like, 
any like an axe, a knife, anything you can imagine. This one is um not quite as creative, but it's it's okay. It's all right. Still still fun. Mm-hmm. Still definitely a threat. Um, and the uh, the the clue here that the that their antagonist gives them is that they are um this room someone in this room is quote a big fat insecure know-it-all <laughs> which is goes into Velma's uh um characterization in this show which is again just absolutely pitch perfect which mm-hmm. is that she obviously knows so much more than everybody else in, in the town but mm-hmm. she, that goes to her head and she thinks she's better than them but she's also super insecure about it right yeah and it it is a way of writing a real character like i knew a lot of people like this in high school in many ways i was like this in high school you know like mm-hmm. it is very realistic to I mean, I'm not, I was not as smart as Velma, but it is very realistic to to what it is like for those kinds of people. Like, it's a stereotypical, like, right. like you know, you have that, that, that routine Twitter joke of, like, gifted teens or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like that is Velma to a T. For sure. Um, how do you feel about Velma in this, in this show when it comes to, like, her personality in that way? Yeah, I, it definitely uh, uh, calls out, you know, 12, 13-year-old me. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, that that very unique teenager position of being uh, certain that you're smarter than everyone else, but also certain that everybody else thinks you're an idiot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, now, naturally, she, she does not think that this... Uh, this um, this clue could be talking about her because there's no way that she is insecure, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very funny joke. Um, and then so she's like, but you know, she she looks at them for validation. They give it to her, so she says, "Well, I can solve this, no problem." And she just mm-hmm. she takes out a pair of scissors and immediately cuts the cord, which is like, did you even take the time to think about this, Velma? <laughs> like that. Did you assess the situation whatsoever? Because <laughs> yeah, immediately the cord you know swings a knife at her or whatever. So she's like, "Well, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not the smartest one for this puzzle." And Shaggy uh, <laughs> naturally is like, "Well, it's not me." <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> yeah. So that just leaves Scooby, and um, you know, we quickly realize that this puzzle was obviously meant for his counterpart, Professor Pericles, who is. A very smart person, um, mm-hmm. but Scooby Doo is not. Um, also, you know, Professor Pericles is a parrot, and uh, Scooby Doo is a Great Dane, and mm-hmm. there's a bit of a size disparate uh, discrepancy between those two things. Yeah, Great Dane just a little bit bigger than a parrot, um, but uh, you know, Scooby is attracted to this seed cake that's on the, the the kitchen counter so he goes over he you know, he does the like Charlie's Angels thing through the uh, the <laughs> the ropes and eats the cake or, uh, uh, the Ocean's 12 yes. where he dances through yes, the yes, lasers yes. 
Or, or <laughs> um, from the pacifier, the Peter Panda dance. Oh, also. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. That's right. Yeah, For sure. Now you're going to be singing the song in your head when you're trying to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, I got to say, you know, we know that, that he made this trap after they left 30 years ago. That seed kick has got to be just inedible. <laughs> like, yep. God, only a dog could find that appetizing at this point. Um, <laughs> he finds a, uh, a clue in it. He, like, he eats the thing and finds a, a rolled up piece of paper in it that says he needs to put his, you know, press down on four tiles at the same time, which he does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much easier for him because he's, you know, a dog with actual weight than it would have been for a parrot. <laughs> but um, he disarms the trap and then the gang gets reunited. And they, they now are free to explore the, the mansion. And they come across his, his room. They find all these antique, like, listening tubes and and everything going up to his microphone setup so they figure out that's where he's been mm-hmm. they find a, a cauldron with with rats cooking in it which is uh, great you know very tasty i'm sure yep <laughs> and then we are finally treated to his to our villain for the episode so what i find very interesting about this is that it both is an unmasking and it isn't, right? Right. Because like we don't have like we don't have someone dressed up as like Frankenstein running around for them to pull up, pull off the mm-hmm. mask. But we do have a reveal of the culprit at this point. You know, like we're in the, the third act here, and we now know who the the, the bad guy is. But he's not dressed up, right? The villain right. is little Danny Darrow. Um, Abe Lincoln himself, who's mm-hmm. been living down here since the building collapsed all those years ago. He's really fucking old um, and really creepy. <laughs> He's a <laughs> yeah, creepy sure. little freaking guy. Like, he, yeah, like you said earlier, very Gollum esque. Yeah, I love his design. Like, he's got um, like those those lined white pupils that like creatures that live in the dark have you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and like his hair's all over the place and obviously subsisting off of rats has stunted his growth because he's still like as tall as like a nine-year-old would be right yeah um but he's really creepy and he's like chasing him around the house with a, a fire poker and um you know if i was a kid watching this i would be scared of this <laughs> um, yeah you know like as an adult, I found the 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 pool trap more intimidating than this little guy, but um, it is mm. definitely very scary for kids. Um, yeah, they find the piece of the planospheric disc after um, locking him out of the room, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they don't know what it is, but they know that he wants it, and they now are prepared to trap the guy. Right. Yeah. Um, Red is very excited about getting to trap this this master trapper. 
they uh yeah they do like the the norman bates thing of pretending to be his mom and uh that um and that, then that that kicks off their like rube goldberg situation uh mm-hmm. but what i find interesting is that you know they capture him they they there's no mask to pull off they're they're not going to call the police or whatever they just want to talk to him um yeah so they sit down and have a conversation with the guy like they interrogate him but it turns into them actually just sort of meeting with him on his level you know like he's mm-hmm. he's just a creepy little guy who's been living down here alone all this time and <laughs> that'll really do a number on you you know like, yeah <laughs> they uh they're sympathetic and they they get it you know he tells them the whole house of usher story basically and how you know his family eventually died but he didn't even miss them because he was left with his treasure that he loved so much um and that he he you know he saw the old mystery ink come through here all those years ago and they left and he set up all these traps in case they ever returned um but what is really interesting to me is that he, as he's talking this out, he sort of realizes that he's been wrong this whole time. Right. That, you know, this treasure wasn't worth it because he was just living here alone, and what was the point? Um, which is really interesting and, and kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> unique. Like, we don't get that a lot in the Scooby-Doo at all. Um, yeah. And then, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, I mean, you know, I was just going to agree with you. It's yeah, a moment of, of self reflection. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we the uh, the the building starts to shake again, and there's been another earthquake. Apparently, he lives on a fault line, <laughs> um, which is not a good idea. Don't build your house on a fault line. Not um, but you yeah. know, maybe the the Daras wanted to to skip out on on property taxes or something back in the day. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so they the fault line splits up, and he's on one end, and they're on the other. That they've got the treasure, and you know, Velma offers to give it to him, but he's like, "No, take it." You know, um, yeah, maybe it'll bring you more joy than it's brought me, and. They escape through the closing sinkhole, and I think that this is the first confirmed death in Scooby-Doo. Like, huh. there will be more in, over the course of this show, but I can't think of any in previous iterations. But, like, yeah. there's no way he doesn't die here, right? <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's it for him. Um, like, there might be some that, that people have a you know, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge into being deaths, you know, the way they, like, pretend that Shaggy used to be a stoner or whatever, but, um, Mm -hmm. like, this is in the text, and it's the first that I can think of, unless there is one earlier in this season, but I don't think so. I think most of them come in season two. Um, and, uh, now, you know, the gang has their mission. They have the a piece of a, a literal piece of a puzzle, and they need to find the others. And the ending of this episode really sets up what will be the future of this show. It lays the groundwork for the rest of Mystery Incorporated. 
And yeah, I, I really sure. like it. You know, I think it's a great episode. Um, I think it's a great note to end the episode on. And it, uh, it, it was a really fun ride. But, Evie, we've made it through the plot, which means it's time for another game. All right. So this one also has a stupid name. <laughs> um, this one is called Jinkies or Stinky. <laughs> and the way it works is each week I do a lot of research into some sort of a topic relating to the episode. And I come up with six little stories or facts or just little bits of history relating to the episode and then you have to tell me which ones i made up and which ones um are real the ones that are real are jinkies and the ones that i came up with are stinkies okay and the the topic for this episode is real life hermits so real life people who lived in isolation or you know were trapped somewhere that sort of thing Okay. Okay. So yeah, here we go. First up, Mad Lucas was an extremely wealthy man who boarded himself inside his family estate following his mother's death in 1849. He became known as the Hermit of Hertfordshire and left uh, and slept on a bed of ash and soot in his kitchen, which he never left. He never washed or cut his hair and subsisted off a diet of bread, cheese, eggs, herrings and gin. When he died in 1874, the, the authorities discovered a literal pile of money stacked up in his living room, which had been infested with rats. It took 17 cartloads of dirt and ash to clean out the house. Is that a jinky? So is it real? Or is it a stinky? Is it made up? Um, I'm gonna say jinkies. It's that real. one is real. Yeah, it's eerily similar to the, the situation of our little Danny Darrow here. <laughs> yeah. Like, very similar. Um, but, yeah, really kind of gross. <laughs> um, moving on. In 1951, 14-year-old Bobby Finn went sailing with his father off the coast of Nova Scotia. The duo went through a tough squall, and the dad fell off the boat and drowned. Finn not only survived, but continued to live on the boat for eight months without seeing another person, surviving off fish and rainwater. He was an Eagle Scout and was the first recipient of the Heroism Award by the Boy Scouts of America. Then a chinky or a stinky? I'm gonna say stinky. You are correct. I made that one up. All right. Good work. Perhaps the most well-known group of people living in religiously motivated isolation are the Cartusian monks. Though the monks live together in a monastery, they each have their own sealed-off living area which they refer to as cells. They, the cells include a bed, a desk, a walled garden, a table, and a portrait of the Virgin Mary. Meals are inserted into the room throughout a, through a sort of revolving compartment that allows for the transference of goods without ever having to interact with another human being. Is that a jinky or a stinky? I'm gonna say stinky. That's not true. That's real. Those are real people. Huh. All they do is pray and work in the garden and uh, 
sleep and eat. That's it. That's all they're allowed to do. Um, really insane dedication. Um, you know, they do it to themselves. Like it's a voluntary thing. Um, but just insane. Like I can't even imagine doing that. Okay, here we go. For nearly 30 years, the denizens of North Pond, Maine, noticed small house goods were going missing. Despite never seeing the culprit, they suspected it was all one person who committed all the minor crimes, usually taking things like batteries, matches, and occasionally alcohol. It turns out they were correct, as in 2013, Christopher Thomas Knight was apprehended by a game warden after committing over 1,000 burglaries in his 27 years of seclusion. According to Knight, he only ever had one interaction with another human being during all that time. Hmm. I think that's Jinkies. Yeah, that's real. That's real. It's a crazy story. Um, I would I would recommend looking into it for other people. I was really kind of fascinated as I was reading up on it. Robert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just crazy. Um, like, he was just living in the woods and only like took things he needed um to survive because it was like you know the winter in maine it gets really cold so he needed things to make like a fire or whatever but um yeah just crazy robert clayton was a very rich man he made all his money in the oil business and retired to a beachside villa in oahu where he enjoyed his hobbies of winemaking and doomsday prepping on january 18th the uh this was in 2018 or 2019 I can't remember. Um, The Hawaiian government mistakenly sent out a missile warning to all residents of the island state that included the phrasing, this is not a drill, and issued a formal retraction 38 minutes later, but it was all too late for Clayton. He had already retreated into his bunker, which he had not yet fully stocked. He lived down there for three months until he finally emerged, having run out of food, to a world that was not destroyed by missiles from North Korea. I'm going to say stinky. I did make real. that up. Um, okay. I don't know if it, you remember the, uh, the, the, the missile warning thing was real. That did happen. Right. But, um, I do remember that. I, I thought, I do think it's possible that there was some rich dude out there who has a, uh, who's in a bunker right now. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's just the, the plot of, uh, blast of the past, the, uh, Brendan Fraser yes. movie. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, last one. You ready? I think you've mm-hmm. gotten all but one, correct? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, here we go. The war between the United States and Japan ended in October 1945, although no one told Hiro Onoda that. Onoda oh, was this a- is jinky for sure. I Yeah, it's a great story. I'll go ahead and read I, it. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, yeah, you can finish the story, but... I've def I've uh, read up on this one. Yeah, I highly highly recommend anybody else read up on it because it is is great and you know it's worth going into more detail than my couple of sentences I kind of creeped from Wikipedia, but it is great. Um, so Inoda was a Japanese soldier who was hiding out in the in the mountains of Lubang Island, which is like in the Philippines, um, and that's where he was when the war ended. He had been told to go up there by his his captain, right? Um, to like hide while the captain went off to do something else. Um, so he took the repeated messages from locals outlining the outcome of the war as being propaganda from the Allied powers. He was determined to hold out until he received orders from his captain to come out of hiding. 
He remained in the jungles of Lubang Island, convinced of the Japanese's victory, until 1974, almost 30 years after the war had ended. Just insane. I mean, that's a lot of dedication, you know? Yeah. But I can't even imagine it. Um, yeah, but again, highly, highly recommend looking into that. Um, so, before we go, we do have to rank this episode on a tier list, Evie. So, there are five tiers. All right. Starting from the bottom is the Rutrow tier. That is the, <laughs> yeah, just the absolute worst of the worst. Like, never watch again. Either just, just super unbearably annoying or, like, offensive and racist or whatever. Just bad. Um, we have not yet gotten it one of those yet. I don't think that this episode will fit in there. <laughs> um, next up is the Scooby Dumb tier. That is for episodes that are just stupid or, you know, kind of boring or a waste of time, but not necessarily, like, like you could suffer through them again. Um, <laughs> the middle of the road tier is the, um, the Just Another Mystery tier, um, you know, just for an episode that's basically like any other one, doesn't do anything special, but it doesn't have any problems, per se. Groovy is the tier above that. That is um, for episodes that we like a lot, um, that are very fun, but maybe just don't necessarily need to fit into the canon. But the very top tier is the Golden Scoob tier. This is for the cream of the crop. The best of the best. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm, th- I'm thinking this one is a Golden Scoob. I, mean, I think so, too. I, I definitely think so, or at least yeah. I'm leaning towards that. I will say that I haven't had a lot of experience with um, shows, the shows in between, basically, um, the first um, series of Scooby-Doo and yeah, kind of the you? 2000s. Yeah, where, between Where Are You and the the 2000s direct-to-video films. and. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of there's a gap in my uh, watching between those. That's okay. So maybe... there's a, a lot of that is not worth watching as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, unless you uh, host a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there are a couple of things in there that that could make it into Golden Scoop, but not many. I think most of them will come from Where Are You and Mystery Incorporated because that's kind of the. Uh, that's the creme de la creme, as it says. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think that... I think this is going to be our first entry into the Golden Scoop, Evie. I mean, I would definitely say an so. absolute banger. I mean, really, it's a great episode. I really, really like it. Um, I'm really glad that you picked it. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed it as much as, as I did, and I'm glad that I enjoyed it as much now as I did when I was, you know, 11 or yeah. uh, however old. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you very much for coming on this show. Um, thank you for sitting down for over an hour to talk with me on your Tuesday night. I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, it 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 means a lot that you that you know you would be willing to do this. I appreciate that. Thanks um, for having me on. I uh, had a great time. For sure. Do you have any um, any? 
anything you want to plug or any social media or anything you want to let the people know about? Yeah, um, I'm at left Evie, L-E-F-T-E-V-E-V-I-E on Twitter. Sounds good. Everybody go out and give her a follow. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Brundine. You can follow the show at Heavy Metal Pod on Twitter. And, you know, if you're out there listening and you liked this episode, then please uh, give it a rating on your whatever podcast app you use. Um, it could be whatever rating you want, but, you know, hopefully you liked it. I would appreciate it if you gave it a higher <laughs> one, but, you know, that's up to you. Um, you know, subscribe if you want to hear more. This is a weekly show, and then each week it's a different episode from somewhere else in the in the annals of Scooby-Doo. There's a lot of Scooby-Doo, and it could be from anywhere. And, um, you know, again, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I hope that you stay groovy.